Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films, joined as always by the legendary football writer Paddy Barclay to take you on this journey through Old Trafford history. If you're watching this video, please be sure to give it a like and subscribe, joining the conversation in the comments section if you're watching live or on the replay. If you're listening on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you are listening on. Um, Paddy, last time, well, the last three episodes, really, we've concentrated on Munich. As yes. We talked about what happened before the crash, the crash and its aftermath, and then the, the separate um, with the squad statistics. Um, this this season, the 58-59 season, is one that rarely gets discussed. And you can understand and appreciate why recently, really, because there's such an emotional... Um, way to talk about Munich, but um, life does go on, and it did go on for Manchester United. It went on for Jimmy Murphy, who, after doing such a marvelous job, um, standing in for, for Busby in the last few months of the season, he was offered jobs elsewhere. Um, mm. at Arsenal, Juventus, an unnamed northwestern club rumored to be Liverpool, who Murphy was particularly furious with later in 1958. He'd also be linked with the Aston Villa job quite strongly. Um, indeed, um, over the summer also included um, a link to Brazil, where some of the Brazilian um, contingent who were, you know, in Sweden for the the World Cup that summer, who actually knocked Wales out of the World Cup, they were so impressed with what Murphy had done that they offered him a job coaching the national side back in Brazil. Well, so I, I didn't know that, but there's there's certainly no question that all the Brazilians say that Wales gave them the their hardest game of the tournament. Uh, they, Brazil, yeah. of course, won it in '58 with uh, the young Pele coming in for the scoring five goals in the semi and the final. But uh, their toughest game, they won one nil. But uh, Wales certainly gave them the toughest game, and and that was Jimmy Murphy's Wales. So, uh, yeah, that, I'm sure that, uh, that that they were very very impressed with uh, with Murphy. Yeah, England, obviously, only with Bobby Charlton in the um, World Cup squad, they would have been littered with babes, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. Um, and they were knocked out after a group playoff. Uh, obviously, that World Cup, I know this is a podcast about Manchester United and we'll talk about them, but you'd mentioned Pele in the World Cup final. I mean, when you talk about the big stage and, and big moments, you've got Maradona 86. People often forget that. I mean, but when you watch Pele's goals, in the final, particularly there's one of them where he's, he's flicking it on the defenders. Just yeah. when people dismiss Pele as just a goal scorer, but you watch that back and you think, what a, what a piece of magic that player was. Yeah, well, he was uh, almost as uh, impactful a teenager as Norman Whiteside. <laughs> no, seriously, as, as every United fan would, would would know, you know, Norman Whiteside made a tremendous impression in 1982. But no. Um, you know, very few people have burst on a World Cup like Pele did in 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 1958, and he was um, undoubtedly the inspiration towards them uh, winning uh, the final five two against the hosts um, Sweden. Um, but uh, yes, that was uh, also notable for all four um, home nations getting there. Um, you know. Um, Scotland, of course, would have had Matt Busby as their manager, their part-time manager, um, and therefore the the clash between Busby and Murphy as international managers uh, was deferred 
and you'll have the details of that way. Yeah, it's coming in the early season, actually. Um, right. Incidentally, Arsenal's offer to Murphy was so serious. Yeah. Murphy actually considered it um, great, yes. greatly enough to uh, discuss it with John Doherty. Um, Doherty, you'll yeah. remember, was an inside forward for, from recent seasons, but he moved to Leicester in October 57 as part of... Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked about a lot of players coming into the side, but we haven't <laughs> talked about the fact that John Doherty had to yeah. move on. Um, Jeff Whitefoot. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of players in that half-back line who... Um, just could not dislodge Coleman or Edwards, so they were having to find new clubs. Jeff Whitefoot, right. um, one of the youngest players ever to play for the club, has now had to move on. Um, Doherty with Berry and the emerging Kenny Morgans at the time being so yeah. magnificent in form. Um, yeah. he had to find a new club, and that was Leicester. But soon after, he suffered a horrendous knee injury and had to have surgery and effectively dropped out of the game. So, at the point in yeah. the summer of '58. When the Arsenal offer came around, uh, Murphy discussed that um, the idea of it with Doherty, but yeah. um, the, the the idea would have been that Doherty would have been the assistant at Highbury. But yeah. again, Murphy decided to stay loyal to, to United. I think the idea for, from Jimmy's perspective was that he was having to, he knew that he was going to be stepping back and taking charge of the reserves in the youth team again. And one yeah. of his greatest strengths was. Um, was facilitating this loyalty to United. So what better way to do that than to say, no, I turned on lucrative offers to go elsewhere. And this is, you know, so United's the place to be. Um, and obviously in the early season, we talked about um, Busby's convalescence in the previous episode, Paddy. But he was still gingerly making his way back into the side, into sort of full charge. So it probably take um, a couple of months until he was fully back into the swing of it. Would you say it's probably fair to say in the early part of the season that, Oh, Murphy yes. was kind of yes. commanding. Oh, yes. Jimmy's uh, contribution would would definitely uh, lingered on. I mean, bear in mind that that Busby uh, had returned in the summer to convalesce. In fact, David Meek told me, the late great David Meek told me that that for many summers, for several summers after the crash, uh, Matt would you know, have a good long holiday, you know, would would uh, would continue to convalesce. He went back to Interlaken uh, on this summer, the summer of 58, where he'd been on the, you may remember, on the way back from, on the long journey uh, back from, uh, from, from, from hospital in Munich. And he returned there to, during the summer of 58 as well. So yes, Murphy was still, the, the, the fire of Murphy was still burning as far on the flag. Uh, to give the correct, he was still, his hand was very firmly on the flag, uh, still as United went into the season. They started the, the league with five crash survivors in the team. Um, they would be Greg, Fawkes, um, Albert Scanlon, uh, Dennis Violet and Bobby Charlton. Um, so it, it was still a... Um, a, a feel of the man of, of 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 the team that uh, that had died. Um, yeah. a, a presence was still there. Yes, definitely. Um, United won that game five two. Um, incredible. Charlton mm. scoring a hat trick. Chelsea's goal scorers on that day were um, actually Jimmy Greaves. He got both of them. Uh, Jimmy Greaves breaking into football. Um, mm. Magnificent goal scorer that he was. Um, so let's talk about the sort of start to that season because I mean, it preceded actually. We talked about in previous episodes how United had only just started their pre-seasons and they were mostly taking place in Germany. 
and that was the case again here. They returned to Germany by boat and, and train via Ostend in, in Belgium. Mm. Um, a poignant return. I mean, they lost both of the, the games. It wasn't about that. It was about the reception that United received. I've got a, an image of Busby arriving in Hamburg for the second of the, the friendlies, which, I mean, for, for yeah. people listening back on the audio, it, it's uh, the travelling picture and, and a lot of, sort of locals there to greet the, the United travelling picture. And Busby looks... Like a film star in the middle of it, yes. with, uh, glasses yeah. on. But, um, but, I mean, the point was, I mean, at, at this point, and we'll talk about Busby giving up to fly again in the later parts of this podcast. But at this point, there was still a lot of nervousness around travel for United. So when you think about the fact that this is just six, seven, six months after the crash, to go yeah. back to Germany and, and sort of combat this sort of grief head on, incredibly yes. brave from some of these people. Yes, yes, they were, and and the, uh, I mean, at this stage, they, you know, they they certainly avoided air air travel, sensibly enough. In fact, around this time, Bobby Charlton was uh, on a flight with England, and that was an, clearly an ordeal. Bobby Robson, um, to, uh, I remember him saying that he he'd been sitting next to Bobby on the plane on the England party and uh, and Bobby was gripping the you know was clearly very very nervous and at once at one stage muttered something along the lines of just get this bloody plane down you know as it circled ready for for um, for landing so I'm perfectly understandable but the, but Manchester United at this stage uh, were still some months away from being ready to to, to travel by air again yeah. Um, early September, they sign and uh, they break the club record to sign um, Albert Quicksall, uh, a, yes. a rare player to have been missed by United when he was younger, but now signed. Um, a lot of implications here, Paddy, because a lot of people don't really, I guess they, they do know that United are in financial difficulties, but there are some threads tied to this which um, which are interesting. Um, I'll, I'll pull up the picture of Quicksall signing yeah. while you uh, tell the story. Yeah. Well, well, the the thing the thing about it that they, they break this world record. I can remember as a child hearing that uh, that that the bereaved Manchester United had spent forty five thousand pounds, which was a sort of jaw dropping sum, to sign this um, player who I think we might have come across him before. He played playing well for Sheffield Wednesday against United, and um, yes, he was the golden boy. A glamorous footballer, but but very modest in in his in his character, and this cut this fee to put it in a bit of context. Um, Manchester United, I, I mean, it seems ridiculous to talk about money in the context of Munich, but the point is that they they did lose, um, you know, an untold riches in 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 the players who perished, um, and. They were underinsured. Um, the payout was just one hundred thousand pounds spread over five years. So this, in this particular season, they got their policy realised only twenty thousand pounds. So they had to sell a lot of players, United, um, to scrape together the the quicksall fee. I mean, this was not a club with. With any money, they've still, you know, after the misfortune of the ground being bombed during the war, it was just about coming to recover from that when Munich came along and 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 
you know, as I say, it's a Munich was nothing to, was shouldn't be confused with monetary issues, but they were underinsured, and that was another financial setback. So for Busby to break that record was a very, very bold move, but he did it, and uh, he had to sell. Ernie Taylor, you remember, we spoke about in the last episode, who'd come in immediately after Munich, veteran from uh, midfielder from Blackpool. Uh, he went. Um, who were the others who went? I mean, uh, um, uh, Gibson, Don Gibson, who by now is Busby's son-in-law, married to Busby's daughter, Sheena. He goes. And uh, there were others, weren't there? There were Kenny Morgans went. Morgan was a while away, yeah. Um, but Stan yeah. Crowther, um, Stan, well, Stan Crowther had come in at the same yeah. time as Taylor. Stan Crowther, you may remember, had a great, great game against United when Villa beat United in the cup final, and um, he uh came in the wake of Munich as one of as the sort of quick repair, but he didn't fit in personally. And Busby wasn't crazy about him. He wasn't a popular dressing room figure. Um, and what helped, he was a, a wing half midfield player. And what helped Busby to, to get rid of him, to sell him, was um, the emergence of Wilf McGuinness yeah. um, as, as, a, as a serious player um, in, in midfield, uh, and again, a wing half local boy and uh, really no uh, no no one connected with Manchester United needs any introduction to him but he was a young player uh, seizing his opportunity um, so that helped Busby knew he could get rid of, of Crowther because Wilf was showing such promise and such grit all the qualities that Crowther had been bought for. Yeah McGuinness had been injured just before Munich so if he'd have been fit is every yeah. chance that Crowther might not have even been signed yeah. anyway? Um, the other player, we talk about Crowther and the sort of behavioral aspects of it. Um, the same could be said for Colin Webster. He'd been, he'd been brought through the club, and, and I know it's been signed at an early age, not necessarily. Sorry, I beg your pardon. It was Colin, uh, Colin I, 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 I said Kenny Morgans instead of Colin Webster. Of course, that was wrong. Um, yes, Colin Webster, um, another player who could play through the middle mm. or wide. Again, there were personality problems there. Busby didn't like him, um, and so he was a, he was sold as well. Incredible, really. Taylor and Crowther gone before the end of the calendar year, um, yeah. and they're so synonymous with Munich and having stepped in in the way that they did. But uh, the careers at the club so short, um, but nonetheless significant for what they did. Step into to the breach um, with many of these players as well. Um, Talk about the European Cup, um, such that it was. I mean, United were invited back to play um, in the competition. Yeah. And they were actually drawn against young boys when the first draw was made. But then the Football League stepped in, said that yeah. United weren't allowed to play. This was the time. This time, United didn't win the fight, Paddy, with um, Busby perhaps yeah. not wanting to go too head to head, considering what I happened. think. Yes, Busby and Chairman Harold Hardman were, were very keen to be able to play. They didn't expect to mount another challenge for the European Cup with the with the, the, the post-Munich team. But uh, they would have liked the revenue because crowds were... Yeah. The, the country, as well as Manchester, was rallying around the club after Munich. Uh, crowds were very healthy and there would undoubtedly have been a full house 
even if we only had one game in Europe. Um, they, the, so United definitely wanted uh, to take up UEFA's in, invitation. I think it ought to be said that it was a, um, a generous move by UEFA to say that in the circumstances, Champions Wolves would be accompanied into the draw by Manchester United. But yes, the Football League said only champions could um, could take part. And, and, and you can understand why Hardman and Busby were hopping mad about that. Yeah, um, the, the tie was played anyway. Um, as friendly games, young boys were given a yes. draw in the uh, by in the competition. But um, in the first leg in in Switzerland, United lost two nil, and in the second leg won three nil. Um, yeah. So they would have advanced. Um, and Wolves, incidentally, didn't um, didn't impress too much themselves, did they, in the competition? So, no. um, so much for Stan Callis's claim that he had the best team in the world. They got knocked out first round, I think, by in German in Germany. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, United obviously buzz me now concentrated on matters at home. Um, but the form after that promising start to the season quickly tailed off the reality of the squad composition hitting home, um, the, the number of changes that were having to be made. The fact that I mean, the reality United had been galvanized by this cup run in the, the latter part of the previous season, but they didn't yeah. have that, they had a reality of a rebuild and the, the emotional significance and the weight of the grief. Busby still coming back to terms with. And then the fact that these were big footballing matters to deal with. There were big calls that he was starting to make. He included um, making Dennis Violet captain because he saw that Bill Folks was struggling with that and, and also the recovery of the crash, but also he was readapting to centre-back, which was a new yeah. position. Jimmy wanted to take the weight off his shoulders. And yeah. at the same time, while United are in this poor run of form, Paddy, um, they, they play a game up at Everton, which neither... Busby Omer, if he's in charge of Jack Crompton, is in charge of Manchester United as they lose three two uh, to managerless Everton. Um, yeah. Where, where in the world are Jimmy Murphy and Matt Busby if they are not um, at Goodison Park? Yeah. Yes. Well, they were uh, uh, they were uh, in opposition, as we hinted at earlier. Uh, Scotland under Matt Busby, who'd promised to be manager during the World Cup, obviously he couldn't keep that because he was in hospital or recovering from, or in convalescence. Um, but he did keep his promise to look after Scotland. And he went off to Cardiff, to where Jimmy Murphy was lying in wait as his opponent for once. And uh, Busby gave an international debut that day down in Cardiff to an 18 year old uh, whose name was Dennis Law. And uh, he was at, at that time playing towards the uh, bottom of the second division with Huddersfield, managed by Bill Shankly. And uh, in another bold move, he made he gave the Scotland captaincy to a 23-year-old called Dave Mackay. So, um, if, if further evidence of Busby's excellent judgment of a footballer. In the promotion of those those two young men, um, Law underlined that by opening the scoring. Scotland won three nil. So Busby three, Murphy nil. However, when they made their separate ways back to Manchester, uh, their pleasure was, or at least Busby's pleasure, and perhaps Murphy's frustration, 
was uh, diluted by the news from Goodison. Jack Crompton had been in charge. United lost 3-2 to uh, a lowly Everton, as you rightly said, managerless, because they were waiting for Johnny Carey, United's old captain, and Busby's trusted lieutenant on the field. They were, Johnny Carey had started his managerial career, career at Blackburn Rovers, and he was now, he'd now been uh, attracted by Everton. But while they were waiting for him, uh, they did have the rare joy of beating United 3-2. Um, questions were being asked. I mean, I'm not saying Quick's always made a scapegoat for results and all performances like the one at Goodison. But there was a feeling that for such a gifted player, he should be more expressive and confident and maybe bang the ball in the net a couple of times. But he was just acting as a team player. Um, and, and the United fans for 45,000, you know, uh, this extraordinary fee expected a bit more than that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, United was struggling. Um... In, in the league, it should be said. Um, you mentioned Warren Bradley in the uh, last episode, and I, I bring him yes. up here to, to talk about the um, the other changes that have been happening at the club. Now, um, Bradley arrived um, alongside Derek Lewin and Bob Ardistry, and the mm. other two Bishop Oakland players who came in yeah. to help. Now, the stigma around um, amateur clubs wasn't as it is today, no. um, because there were professional clubs that were split. I mean, the third division had a north and south. Um, so mm -hmm. it's only many uh, professional clubs there at the time. And now I'll speak the falling ladder. And you already mentioned in the previous episode about how um, Bishop Auckland were practically the most famous amateur team. They um, they won the amateur F Cup for two years running or something like that. Yeah. So they were, they were really the, the height of their and, own and, game. And the amateur cup final was not only held at Wembley, but it backed the place out. You would get... Yeah. When Bishop Auckland, were, I think they might have won about three cup finals in a row under Don Hardesty as the captain. I remember his bald head being raised. and yeah, I remember seeing the photographs. Of it. And the final would be televised and it would draw a crowd of 100,000. So, yeah, I mean, these guys were used to the big time. Um, and uh, Bradley was actually a... It was a sort of coming home for him to come to United because he'd, he'd been born in Hyde, just up the road from um, from from Manchester, um, and um, become an amateur international. And uh, Busby had always had an eye on him, you know, and uh, and he, uh, he he definitely made a, a huge impression after after coming to Old Trafford. And although they, the three as amateurs were unable to play for the first team, Busby saw so much in Bradley that he offered him a part-time professional contract, which allowed him to play for the first team while pursuing his main ambition. He was a modest man. And his main ambition was he was a teacher. And his main ambition was to become a headmaster. Um, you know... F FA Amateur Cup medals and playing for Man United, and later he played for England, uh, were uh, one thing, but what he really wanted was to become a head teacher. 
<laughs> remarkable. Um, yeah, they, they, they did. Like you said, they came in as as amateurs. So while they couldn't play in the reserve team, what uh, in the first team, what they were doing is playing in the reserve and the A team, and providing the valuable assistance there. The senior, uh, obviously, because of Munich young players were being drafted in a lot more quickly, so they needed senior guidance where Murphy's attention was uh, diverted to the first team temporarily and obviously they didn't have Bert Wally, they didn't mm-hmm. have Busby, Tom Curry. They needed these experienced heads around and it was critical, it was crucial. And I uh, would give you an example reserve team from the start of the season. Um, Ray Wood, Smith, Carolan, we'll speak about him in a moment, yeah. Crowther, Harrop, Brad, Bradley, Giles, um, Brennan, Pearson, Morgan, some of those names familiar, some of them not mm. familiar because mm. a bit of a hush um, of, of what United are dealing with at the moment. There's no genuine plan. In, in days gone by, you would have a couple of players, like folks, perhaps now he's training in a new position. Um, mm. He was having to do that on the job in the first team. We'll see how that develops over the next couple of seasons. You'd have yeah. a, a smattering more players like Giles, um, players making their way in, but also You've got the likes of Brennan, Harrop, Pearson, Morgans, yeah. who are dealing with the aftermath of... Um, yes, well, you see, those positions... I mean, several of those players would not have got in the reserve side because um, of uh, players who perished, you know, of, of um, Jeff Bent, for example, yeah. who was a quality player, you know. There's, there's definitely a first-team class player. So they had the likes of Bent, Cope, so on. In, in the reserves who, frankly, could come into the first team and you wouldn't really notice the difference. Um, they were that good. Um, as you say, now it was sort of make, do and mend. Yeah. Busby um, sort of made a decision in the winter time, didn't he? So it's like, I'm going to cut back on my international commitments. I'm going to yeah. look at uh, what's happening at United more seriously. So those yeah. sales were made, the promotion of um, Violet's captain. And it's yeah. no... It's no coincidence that once Busby started really refocus, not refocusing, but once he was able to fully commit back to Manchester United in the way yeah. that he'd been, um, United's form completely transformed. And I think it's probably largely down to the fact that Busby was able to be more iron-fisted around um, control. Yeah, he only had two two matches with Scotland. The second, there was the Wales one where Murphy was vanquished. That uh, he then oversaw a 2-2 draw with Northern Ireland at Hampden Park. And then he decided to focus entirely on Manchester United. Although it wasn't a wholly um, um, resurgent winter because it, the first, uh, the third round of the of the Cup, or the early round, of, I think it was, I think it was the third, yeah. Third round of the cup brought a fairy tale, wonderful, you might think, but not if you're a Man United fan because you're on the wrong end of it. And Norwich City, I remember again, I was a kid at the time, and Norwich City were uh, among the great cup fighters. And although they were in the third division, probably third division south at that time, um, they were really one of the great stories of the season. And their run, which got to the semi-finals, well, a third division team get into the semi-final. Um, they knocked out United at first at Carrow Road, and they also knocked out Tottenham on their way to, uh, to the semi-finals. But in the league, it was a different story, Wayne, wasn't it? Yeah, United um, really did go on a run of... Um, they went on beating for a few months, actually, as they... 
um, as Busby did take full control back uh, again. Um, and at that point, because they'd started the season so poor, I mean, there's a runway of where they lost 16-8, so they were never, and they were down in 15th at one point. We They were never going to really challenge for the league, but out of that, because Wolves were runaway winners, that it wasn't as runaway as it uh, might have been. And also, no. um, the other thing is that United were never, they were never close enough to really be considered realistic challengers. I mean, the, there's a period... Um, where they did actually go top of the table twice, but yeah. um, towards the end of the season, what had happened is Wolves had accumulated a backlog of postponed games, so United were playing three games in front of Wolves, and you knew that really, even though United were like top by a point, you knew that Wolves were going to turn that around. It wasn't like United was seriously competing for the title. Do you think that would be fair, or do you think I'd be a bit? Yeah, yeah, it, it is fair, but it was still a, a great season. They ended up second, as you as you say, and and. It was. It was still that. That was an amazing achievement, considering the background of Munich. Yeah. Also, what was good was that there was the strength of the team was was the attack. Charlton had a magnificent season. He was in line actually for footballer of the year at at one stage. Sid Owen of Luton got it. Uh, the veteran centre half, um, but. You know, Charlton would have been one of the one of the other people that the um, that the Football Writers Association members would have considered uh, definitely. And Scanlon, he, he deserves mention, Albert Scanlon, because as we've mentioned in previous episodes, he was vying with David Pegg um, until uh, Pegg's tragic death at Munich. Um, Scanlon certainly, you know, stepped up to his responsibilities. He too had a very good season. Dennis Violet, Charlton's mate, and, and, and who was sitting next to him, who when they survived Munich, they were hurled out of the plane. Violet as well, doing so well that, as you mentioned before, Busby gave him the captaincy when Bill Fuchs funded too much. So there was a lot to like um, about United's season, even though. Uh, Wolves, uh, Wolves actually won their third title, Cullis, well, under Cullis, the, so that Cullis now had three titles and one FA Cup. So once again, Cullis and Busby, these two great managers, were level pegging in their friendly rivalry. Yeah, um, you're quite right. I think there, there was a quote from Busby at one point through the season where he acknowledged that. Um, you know, not a false position. A but false, he said uh, to finish what they'd achieved in the 15 months in, it gave a false impression of our strength. Yeah, and I think he felt that Wolves were going to be there or thereabouts again next season. United really were going to have to, you know. Yes, it was good. It was very good um, to have got to be. Among the among the contenders, fifteen months after Munich, um, but Busby was already getting his fierce ambition and wanted to do back and wanted to do even better. Yeah, I think you might also say that um, without wanting to denigrate, um, without wanting to denigrate the strength of the league, the fact that United could be languishing in fifteenth in November and then yes, finished second. Sort of gives an indication of how um, there wasn't a serious competitor for Wolves that season. Um, 
but that, again, not to denigrate their their own success, um, such that it was, even though of course they they um, didn't quite get that in Europe. Um, mm. Let's let's go through the squad then. Um, Ari Gregg, remarkable. We don't talk really enough about the remarkable um, Harry Gregg, Bobby Charlton, and Bill Folks just playing relentlessly. Bill Folks and Harry Gregg went from playing every single game in the previous season to Greg playing almost every game this season, 41 in all appearances. Uh, so 40, 41 in the league, 42 in all appearances. Uh, Ray Wood stepping in for that single game um, yep. uh, in the single league game that he played as well. So that we moved to uh, the, the full-backs. Um, Bill Folks played 32 in the league, 33 in all appearances. Ian Greaves made 34 appearances in the league as the right back. I know he did previously stepped in at left back, but now he was the, the dominant right back there. Um, Joe Carroll, and you'll see on screen. Now, he, he came into the side, an Irish left back who started the season in the reserves. He was a winner mm. of the Coast Cup in 1957. Obviously, yeah. now because of the decimation of the left hand side of the team, he had an opportunity um, to, to get into the side. and. Yeah. Um, another of those infamous, um, infamous positional shifts, uh, Paddy started as a halfback, that was his position in the youth cup, but now, um, he's left sided, um, prowess really helping the, the first team he made, um, 23 appearances in the league, 24 in all competitions. Um, Shea Brennan, as you remember, just makes one single league appearance this season as he, um, again, we're talking about the emotional toll of the disaster as much as anything. The uh, players just sort of taking a little bit. Busby and Murphy doing um, a wise job by keeping some of the players out of the, the spotlights. We'll come across a few of them in a moment. Um, Ronnie Cope coming into the halfback line. Um, well, I'll put the tactics up in a moment. Um, he yeah. played a number of games, 32 in the league, two goals, um, 33 appearances in all competitions. Stan Crowther, just two appearances in the league. Um, before his departure, mostly was playing in the reserves after the um, after the turn of the season. Um, the the halfback line was dominated by Freddie Goodwin and Wilf McGuinness. Goodwin, uh, right half. Imagine the difficulty that he had to. I mean, he was basically filling Eddie Coleman's boots and yeah. playing a single game in the league that season, scoring six goals every every single game in all competitions. Actually, played against Norwich as well. Uh, Bobby Harrop, um, remember from the last episode, he stepped in for five league appearances. McGuinness making 40 appearances in all competitions, scoring a single goal, 39 in the league. Um, we'll move on to the forward line now. Warren Bradley, as we already discussed earlier on. Um, yeah, he impressed in the reserves so much that, as Paddy said, Busby was forced to give him this part-time professional contract in November. Um, but he did... He, he had to take a job as a teacher to supplement his income. Um, and he did actually, yeah, he did say, all I wanted to be was a head teacher. Um, so he did achieve that ambition, by the way, by 1968, um, by which time, as Paddy said, he played for Manchester United in England. Um, if there was a concern about him, because he was 25, why didn't he ever make it into the professional game before? There was a little bit of concern that you know, five foot five, he was a little bit short to be playing in the front line. Also, um, that um, there was a bit of an injury worry with his knees sometimes. But United had already had a, a short outside right in, in Johnny Berry. So they would yes. have no problems with that. Um, he was a magnificent mature standing for Johnny Berry and uh, Kenny Morgan's on the right. Morgan's falling victim um, to, uh, you know, 
certainly being too much for him. Morgan's yeah. played only two appearances in the league that season. Um, Reg Hunter um, was the other deputy on the right-hand side. He played Ooh. one single appearance. Um, another FA Youth Cup winner. He was given a chance on December 27th against Aston Villa. Um, United lost, uh, they won 2-0. So, um, they, you know, he did a little wrong, you would presume, but he did turn out to be uh, Reg's only appearance for the club. Warren Bradley, by that point, um, coming in and being the, the senior player on that act, on that side of the um, pitch. The other forwards, Alex Dawson, we mentioned him in previous episodes. Um, just 11 appearances this season and four goals. And we talked about how incredible he did in, in the months after Munich. This, again, I think, just a sign that the emotional toll on a player like him um, and, and Mark Pearson, four appearances in the league and a single goal, um, you can already tell that it's a lot for these player burden. And these players, Dawson and Pearson, do well for the reserves, but, you know, obviously it's difficult for them. Colin Webster, we mentioned he left early in the season, five goals in seven games in the league before he did. Uh, Dennis Violet. 21 goals in 37 in the league, 38 appearances in all competitions. Ernie Taylor, 11 appearances without a goal before he departed. Um, Albert Scanlon on the left-hand side, 16 goals in 43 appearances in all competitions, 42 in, of those in the league. You mentioned Bobby and He was the top goal scorer this season with 29 goals in 38 games. Incredible return. Um, 39 appearances in all competitions, 38 of those in the league. And finally, Albert Quicksall, the golden boy, as he was um, described, signed for 45000 to try. And, and you talked about the difficulty that he had selling that perhaps didn't have the cocksure um, confidence of the, the forwards that he was replacing or the guile of a Billy Whelan, even though everyone was probably looking naturally for a, a Tommy Taylor replacement. Well, Violet and Charlton chipped in with the goals to replace um, that, so he didn't really need to worry too much about goal scoring because United went on to score over 100 in the league. That wasn't a problem, but for Quicksall it was. Um, he only scored four goals in, in 33 appearances, um, and he wasn't really the same as a, as a Taylor or a Whelan. He was 25 when he finally arrived from Sheffield Wednesday, Um said four goals in 34 appearances in all competitions, 33 of those in the league. Now, I said earlier on that he'd had a chance to sign for United when he was younger. Well, Jimmy Murphy had actually recalled how Bert Wally had seen Albert Quicksall eight or nine years earlier playing football on Blackpool Beach. And he approached him, Bert Wally, and said, I'll give you a trial with United. Quicksall told him he'd already signed terms with Sheffield Wednesday at that point. Now, uh, read a quote from Quicksall, because obviously it sounds like he had a, a traumatic introduction to the team, but his teammates appreciated him for sure. Bobby Charlton said he played a significant role in my rush of goal, a significant role in my rush of goals. When I broke through on an offside trap, often it was to get onto the end of one of Albert's perfectly placed passes. Mm -hmm. So he was doing his job in a more understated way, but just not delivering the goals that yeah. people were probably... A, pl a player's player, yeah. Yeah. Um, so go through the tactics. You're going to see a very different team Eight or nine play well, eight plays at least. They're going to be very different. Harry Gregg in goal, obviously ever present. Ian Greaves now the the dominant right back. Bill Folks moving into the middle. Joe Carolan the the left back. Freddie Goodwin the the mainstay in the half back line and, and McGuinness his regular partner. He, and you got that forward line there. Albert Quicksall and Bobby Charlton, the inside forwards. But I'm going to show you a lineup in a moment that 
indicates a change in how the forwards were playing at this yeah. point in time. Yeah. Uh, Warren Bradley and Albert Scanlon, the wingers, and Dennis Violet, a de facto centre forward. But we've said before, I mean, Quicksall, Charlton, and Violet were all inside forwards. They were never really renowned as centre forwards in the way that Tommy Taylor was. And yep. perhaps that's re reflected in this lineup, Paddy. We'll see against Birmingham. So you've got Violet playing as nine in a withdrawn role. Now, if you're looking at this in your... It's, uh, it's, the, it's the first false nine, isn't it? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> a false ten and a false eight as well. But you'll see <laughs> that on the lineup that he's still one of those that's got Cope playing in a halfback line instead of... Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You, you know my obsession with that. But... Um, <laughs> But that, no, that's very interesting. Uh, that was that 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 was an away game program, yeah. wasn't it? At Birmingham, yes. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, there's an advert for a Birmingham company, Electrical Trade Supply Limited. Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. That 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 um, that Violet was 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 there in between the withdrawn wingers. I think that's more down to the program editor. Yeah. Than. Uh, because yes, Dennis did. I think Charlton. My impression was that Charlton and I mean, you 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 read the quote from Charlton, a, a tribute to Violet, that when when he broke yeah. off the, off a defender off the centre half, that that Quicksall would find him. So obviously Charlton and Violet shared the striker's duties. In fact, they possibly. Played uh, played four up front a lot of the time. Uh, I mean, my re my recollection was that you know that in other words they had two number tens instead of a nine and a ten, um, yeah. because because of uh, at that time the irreplaceability of Tommy Taylor. Yeah, um, and yeah, you know it's it's one of those things well because they were all inside forwards or nominally known as inside yeah forwards and... but they were goal scorers you yeah. know i mean you you've just read out um violet's scoring which is more than a goal every other game um you know that was that's a striker's return not a not a not an attacking midfield player's return yeah. so uh, yeah those those um charlton and, and violet would have would have interchanged both would have been expected to chip in with lots of goals, and to be fair, they did. Absolutely. Um, the administration for this season, yeah, the United Review remains the same as it ever has. The handshake on the front there. Yes. Um, United's colours still remain red, white, and black. And now the blue away strip has more or less been done away with, and United predominantly playing white um, away from home. Um, the average attendance at this uh, for this season at Old Trafford was fifty three thousand two hundred and fifty eight. Um, key results, Paddy. I would think that maybe losing six three at Bolton in November seems to be a definitive fork in the road. Where mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. regard Busby saying like this can't go on. I'm going to need to make some big changes here. Um, and then by the time that United won against Wolves, the champions elect to in February. It did follow um, an emotional couple of weeks following the first anniversary of the disaster, where United had done quite well. I think that the day after the disaster, the anniversary, they played at Spurs and won three one. Then they battered City a week later, and then they went and won against Wolves. So it, it really started to show for the first time that there could be a future with prosperity. Um, even yeah. though, as as we've already indicated, Busby wasn't getting too carried away. I think he saw that there were some major changes that needed to be made. 
Um, yeah. Elsewhere in football, Paddy, Wolves, as we've already said, won the league. Rail uh, went on to win another European Cup, so kind of rinse and repeat, really. Their eras of domination continuing to um, to to um, try, and obviously Brazil winning the the World Cup in the previous year, which was the start of um, uh, their glorious dynasty in football, and um, with, with Pele leading it. Um, so that's United's first season after Munich. Um, we're covered as comprehensively as we possibly could, really. Um, if you're watching this video, please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. Even if you're watching on replay, we'd like to get back and, and discuss the, the, the season with you. Um, if you're listening to the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Um, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time to discuss the United's um, 59-60 season.